0: Happy New Year. (laughs) Uh, Quick, quick update since a bunch of folks have asked over the past few days. uh, Britta is okay. Uh, I left here Christmas Eve abruptly without saying Merry Christmas to any of you after church and zoomed up to the hospital and we were there until 1.30 in the morning. Um, We were told that where she is at is where some people are when they start having labor. Uh, Others at her point in the pregnancy they just hang out there for months. And so we were sent home with a instruction of if things get worse, come back. And uh, the contractions she's experiencing, or was experiencing, is kind of normally the time that you would go to the hospital. So we don't really know when we're supposed to go to the hospital. Um, But if things keep getting worse, we'll go back. And otherwise, we're just in limbo. And so just keep praying that we don't have a baby until February. And that's where we're at. And so uh, our Christmas Day was spent recovering with sleep and then we had christmas day on the 26th um, and have tried to get some semblance of sleep ever since um, and so beyond that you'll hear me I- i'm sick you can hear a little bit of illness in my voice uh, rest assured i've had so many COVID tests i don't know what to do with all of them uh, it is not COVID. it's just a fatigue or cold or whatever that has been lingering forever and ever and ever but that's where we are well new year's is a time of reflection and resolutions. It's the time that we get together and figure out what we're going to do differently this year. Uh, It is the number one uptick of gym memberships. Right about now you should start seeing the emails of all those specials for Planet Fitness coming into your inboxes and Facebook feeds uh, to get that head start, to get the body that you should have gotten last year and didn't, right, and to get ready for the new year. And, And it's this weird thing that we do. I think it's odd. Every year, we have this arbitrary reset of the calendar where we just decide that this is a fresh start, right? But really, yesterday when you woke up, did you feel any differently than the day before? Like, you just start, the the real change comes that for the first month, really, you just keep having to scratch out the one and add a two as you write checks, right? Because you just can't get used to writing 2022. Uh, Everybody messes that up at least once, right? Banks should give you grace. Like, they should just know... If you put January in it, you meant to put 2022, right? But we, we do this. We have this way of just trying to be new and different. And in some way, I think all of us can look back on this last year and have things that we wish had gone differently, right? Maybe you live with some sense of regret from this past year. There are things that you meant to do but didn't. Or people that you meant to spend time with and focus on but didn't. There are things about you that you resolved this time last year to change, and you look back and go, yeah, I didn't do any of that. Because um, the average resolution in New Year's lasts, what, maybe about three to four weeks at best, right? The best time ever to join a gym is February. There's no one there. <laughs> like If you go to any gym in February, it's like deserted. All these people that came in, you know, as a matter of fact, I know people that consistently go and work out at gyms, they just don't go in January because they're tired of all the new people that they know are going to be gone, right? And so each year we resolve to make these changes that don't really last. And I think it's because we have this kind of innate desire to to change ourselves. We know that there's things about us that are wrong and messy and messed up, and we want to change. And we compare ourselves to other people. That's the real one, right? It's not that you feel like you need to get in more shape it's that you feel that you need to get in shape kind of like that guy or that girl. Wow, they have it together. Right? Or maybe spiritually you have, you have people in the church that you look to and you say, yeah, I, I wish I was more like them. We play this comparison game and then we play the judgment game. Right? Well, I might need to be more like them, but there are some people that they probably ought to be more like me too. Right? So we, we kind of have this, this way of looking at The world around us and the people in it. And and we judge and we look up to and we compare ourselves. And we do this over and over and over again. And just why? Why do we think it is? This morning, I think Paul gives us some clarity when it comes to this idea of, of renewing ourselves. Of being different people. Of trying to evolve and to change. Because I really do think that it is built into us to be that way. But there's some truth that Scripture gives us about change that for some may be hard to swallow or hear, but it's actually it's the greatest news that we could have. Right? There's, there's weeks where the sermon is this like fire and brimstone, hard news to hear. And then there's weeks like today where the good news just shines through. If you want to come to church and feel good, today is a day to come and feel good. I figured we'd start the new year off right. right? And so I want to look this morning at 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14, but then we'll get some context from it, because the place from which Paul writes this is really significant. So let's take a look, and then we'll dig in. 2 Corinthians 5:14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has passed. Come right. to, to get this message, we, we've got to look at, at Paul's context of how and when he writes this. Right? Paul writes these words in this tragic, ironic state. And you might go, well, how, how is there irony in this passage? It's, we're all new creations. What's there to, to talk about? Paul, before he was Paul, right, we know he was Saul. And Saul was one who was a persecutor of Christians. Right? We talk about judging others. Paul judged Christ in the harshest of terms as a good Jew would have during that time. Right. And Paul isn't just crazy. I think we give the Jewish people a bad rap when they crucify Jesus and they don't want to follow him. Because according to their own traditions and scriptures, like Jesus doesn't measure up to who they thought he was going to be. And so Paul thought of Jesus as a phony who wasn't the Messiah at all but just some crazy lunatic who claimed to be. right, And here's the crazy part. Paul had backup for this. Let's take a look at this. This is Deuteronomy 21-23. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Scripture taught... That one who is cursed, one who hangs on a tree, hangs on a cross, is cursed. And so when Jesus is crucified from Jewish custom, it creates this sense that he wasn't who he said he was. There's no way that Jesus, who endured that level of mockery, that level of weakness, that level of scorn, and that type of a death, could possibly be anyone who has anything of significance to contribute, let alone be the Messiah, right? And so Paul judged Jesus in the flesh because he died. And if we look at the period between the death and resurrection of Christ, we don't have that much written, but we do see that the disciples just kind of are devastated. They kind of all go scatter and they move on to their own lives and they're gathering together and in the roofs of houses and not really knowing what to do, right? Have you ever experienced, like, the death of a loved one and all of you get together and you're just kind of, like, there? And you don't really know what to do next? Like, how are we supposed to function now? That's, that's what they're doing. And so Paul was right on the money, according to Jewish custom, right? Paul judged Jesus because he was weak, because he was persecuted, and because he hung from a cross, He could not possibly have been who he said he was. Here's the irony. Paul didn't stay there. We know that in Acts 9, he's on the Damascus Road, and Jesus encounters him personally and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? And Saul is converted. He becomes Paul. And all of a sudden, as we get to this Corinthians, we have Paul all of a sudden being the leader of these very people that he was persecuting. Just imagine for a second... Like you were the primary person chasing down, imprisoning, and killing Christians, and now you're the leader of the pack. That's crazy, right? And so now Paul finds himself, as we get to 2 Corinthians, trying to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And by the time we get to this passage, Paul has been beaten, imprisoned, and kicked out of town, and he is weak. Paul has very little left to give as we get to 2 Corinthians 5. As a matter of fact, the theme of all of 2 Corinthians is this idea of suffering in the midst of Christ. It's suffering for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And if we remember, according to Paul's own teaching from back then, somebody who is that weak and that suffering can't possibly have credibility. And so Paul now is sitting on the other side and wearing Jesus' shoes. He's trying to convince his fellow Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're going, you couldn't possibly be credible. I mean, look how weak you are. You keep getting kicked out of towns. No one's listening to you. Why should we listen to you? Right. Poor Paul. <laughs> he had to have sat there and said, listen, ah, I remember doing this to Jesus, and now it's being done to me. And these people aren't getting it. They're not understanding And so by the time we get to verse 16, we almost see this not just as a declaration, right? Paul's not just saying, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according. It's it's in a way a repentance and a confession of Paul as well. Listen to the language. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we, himself and the fellow Jews, once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Right? The we is him and his fellow Jews. And he's saying, listen, I once judged according to the flesh. I was at the forefront of where you are now. I was the one who said, Jesus is weak and meek and died on the cross. He can't possibly be. But I was wrong. I could not have been no, any more wrong than I was. And no more. Because what Jesus has done... Is created a kingdom that is not of this world, and so we can't judge according to the standards of the world anymore. Right. You can't you can't say if someone is weak and doesn't seem credible, they can't be taken seriously, because that's not how the kingdom of God works, because Jesus obviously came, not as someone who came in reigning, he will reign and come back one day, but he came as a weak baby, he grew up, he demonstrated love and service and care for people, and he humbled himself for the sake of others, which was something foreign to the way that Jewish people thought. And so he's saying, listen, this things aren't the way they were before, both in the created order and amongst ourselves. Right. Paul, in one sentence after verse 16, obliterates everything about the ways Jews thought things were supposed to go. Right? And he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're in Christ, you are new This is now the only dividing line that matters. There is nothing else in this world, when it comes to how we look at ourselves and other people, that ought to matter any more than that one dividing line. It does not matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter where you are financially, or status, or education, or whether you have the perfect family or not, or whether you give enough to the church, or whether you've attended every Bible study, or whether as a kid you had perfect Sunday school attendance, none of those things matter anymore. In the new economy that God has set up through Christ's death on the cross, there are two people, right? There's no status tiers in heaven. There's not like the gold plan, the silver plan, the platinum plan, right? You know, if you have the card and you throw it on the table and it sounds like metal, you've arrived, right? There's none of that. There's people that are in Christ and there's people that are not in Christ. That's the level playing field. And to us, that is the beautiful good news as we think about and reflect about years past. Because if you have had a year that you would rather forget, if you have shame in your life, if you have things that haunt you, where you say, I couldn't possibly be clean, I couldn't possibly be looked at by God the way these people are looked at by God. The news for you is that, yeah, you are a new creation. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought. You are new. If you are in Christ, you are new. If you've been a Christian for 10 minutes or 30 years, it doesn't matter. You are new. When the two of you get to stand before your maker at the time of your death, there will be no favoritism. There will be no, you should be more like so-and-so. Or You know, you, you miss church a lot. You get to come into heaven, but you only get a bungalow house, not a mansion. Right. <laughs> there's, there's two things. There's in Christ or not. And if you're in Christ, you are completely 100% new. And that ought to be the only thing that matters as you head into the new year. And here is the even better news because Paul doesn't just say therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation he hammers it home he says the old has passed away and the new has come right two things there the old has passed away the old you is gone <clears throat> it's gone it's not lingering somewhere <coughs> it's not something that you have to continue dealing with it's gone When Christ comes into your life and restores your heart, he makes you new. You are a new creation. You are 100% new. You are not who you were before Christ came into your life. And here's the even better news Behold, the new has come. In the Greek, this verb has come is in what we call a perfect active indicative. And that's a really nerdy grammar lesson, but here's why it matters it's not a one time thing, it's an active verb. Which means the better way to translate this is, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come and keeps coming. Which means God renews you if you are in Christ as we go forth and forth. You are newer when you are leaving the sanctuary than you are when you came in. And so it's not just about your past, it's about your present too. When you go into work tomorrow and you screw up, you are being made new. Actively over and over and over again until his return when everything gets consummated. The newness is ongoing. We're continuously being worked out to be new in Christ, right? You're new. Now, here's the challenge you may not feel new. That's the hard part, right? Many of us don't feel like we are new creations most of the time. Because we know that we fall short. We know that there's ways in which we ought to live that we don't live. We know there's always more that we could be doing or thinking or saying or giving or, or whatnot. And so we don't feel new, but we have to understand this. Our crisis and our challenge is not one of identity, but of perception. I don't care what you think about yourself, you are new. You can say, well, I don't really believe that I, I don't care what you believe, you're new. How do we move from knowing that truth to actually embracing it? And the answer to that is that it requires that we press into the truth of Christ. This is why we are spending this year challenging every one of you to read through scripture. Here's the harsh reality. The world will tell you lies about your identity everywhere you go, every day of your life, every step of your way. It lies to you. It's the way the enemy gets to us. Right? You, are, you, are you really new? Yeah, I know that you read that passage and, and Pastor Vince preached on it, but like he doesn't know that thing that you did last week. I mean, can't possibly be that new, right? right? Those are the lies the world tells us. Or You're not good enough. You, know, you provide for your family, but have you seen your neighbor in the boat he just bought for his family? I mean, you really ought to be providing a little more, right? I don't know if it's enough. The world tells us lies, and the only way that we combat lies is through truth, right? You really are what you eat when it comes to what we consume in our life. And so we challenge ourselves to read through Scripture. The only way that you will start to embrace the newness that God already has said that you are if you are in Christ is by engaging with his word And continually reminding yourself of what it says. And what better way than to spend 2022 reading through every single word of the Lord to us. I guarantee you if you stick to that. I guarantee you. You can come to me at the end of December next year and say you were wrong and I'll fight you on it. If you stick to reading the breadth of scripture you will slowly start to be transformed in how you perceive yourself as a new creation you will slowly come to embrace and internalize and habitualize the truth of Christ in your life. And you will actually start to feel new. I promise you. And so the final piece of this is what do we do with it? How does this newness shape us? And the beautiful thing is that Scripture is very clear here because Paul keeps writing. A lot of people end at verse 17, but Paul has more to say. This is verse 18 through 20. Christ reconciled us to be new, and then he gives us this ministry of reconciliation, and he calls us ambassadors. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a position that has a lot of prestige but zero power. Think about it. Ambassadors have no power at all. They are literally just a mouthpiece between two figures of actual authority. whether it be a king or a president or a prime minister or whatever, ambassadors, when they're talking to, to leaders and figureheads, they can't make any decisions of their own. They can't make any judgments or declare any pronouncements. They can only communicate the judgments, pronouncements, and things and decisions that have been given by someone above their pay grade. That's what we are in this world. We are to be the ambassadors that take this reconciliation that Christ has given us, this thing that says we are new if we are in him, we are to take that message and to carry it into the world and to share it and to pull people in. Right. That's, that's the job. That's it. That's what Christians are. Right. We're people who were thirsty who found water and now have to go and tell other people where the source of water is. That's, that's who we are. We are to tell the world of where they can find this newness. And not as ones who found it, but as ones who were found by it. That is what we are called to do. That's the only thing we're called to do. And so this year, instead of resolving to renew ourselves, let us rest in the promised newness that Christ tells us we are living in. Let's commit to living into what Christ already says we are. Let's commit to pushing out the lies of the world in favor of the truth of his word. And let's commit to engaging more with scripture than any year before. And let's commit to being about this ministry of reconciliation. Before you join a gym, open a book. The book. And allow it to shape you. Allow it to... Tell you who you really are. Because most of us live as if we don't really know. Christ says you're new. Your New Year's resolution has been checked off already. Become a new person. Done. Let's live as those people. And let's be this year about going into the communities in which we find ourselves. Into our spheres of influence. And sharing that newness. And bringing other people in. And by the way, as we exist together as a church, let's dispense with the judgment and the guilt and the weight of measuring up to one another. Right? At the end of the day, when we stand before a maker, all of us who are in Christ, we're all going to have one shared status. It doesn't matter how many commentaries you read or didn't read. Right? doesn't matter if you missed church because you were too tired, because you stayed up late and you were partying. You're in Christ, you're new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the newness of your creation. We thank you for who you are and who you say we are in the midst of this life. We thank you that in you we can have newness. Lord, as we strive on our own to try to fix ourselves and do the right thing, you tell us that you've already done it. And so we praise you and we thank you for who you are and that you love us. We thank you for your sacrifice that you made in dying on the cross so that all of us could experience this newness. And Lord, we pray that this year we might press into it more and more each day, that as we read your word and discover your truth, that it would permeate our very souls. Be with us this morning as we come to your table. As we partake of of the bread and the cup signifies the body and the blood of you. Let it be a reminder to us of your love and of your grace and of your mercy. We love and praise you. And all his people said,